evening and welcome to the Laughing Monkey Music Show. Tonight we have on Paige Hamilton, the star and main player of Helmet and many other things. How are you doing tonight, man? I'm okay. How are I you? Thank you. I'm doing great. I'm, I'm glad you could come on. I've been uh, waiting for this to, to see you. You had some stuff. You had a lot of stuff going on. We're going to talk about the end. You're a machine, really. So I, I appreciate you taking time to, to do these little podcast interviews because you, you, I know you have a lot to do. My pleasure. My pleasure. So, so what's really great about you is, in a, like a brief intro, I want to we'll go over a few things earlier on, some of your other stuff, because people that aren't aware of you, I want to make aware of in a little bit of your history. And I want to kind of talk about cross-pollination about some of the music stuff you do, because it's kind of really fantastic to me. Um, cool. what's, what's really great with, with you is, you know, when I first heard you and, you know, it was, you guys, it was like really heavy and it was sort of alternative time. So I don't even know, to me, you sound like, a, like, a, like a, kind of like a heavy metal band at the time. But it was really alternative, and you 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 were allowed to tour. You toured with everybody, all different types, from from Pantera to the, you know all different alternative bands, which was kind of cool at that time. How were you considering yourself as a style? Did you guys have a, an idea of what genre of music you were? We didn't. Th- we didn't really think about it like that. You know, we um, I think um, it was interesting w- when we started going around selling our seven inches. The first thing we released was Born Annoying, and the B side was Rumble on AMREP and our, and Tom Hazelmeyer over at AMREP, you know, our payment was, I think he gave us 507 inches and it's like, there you go. And I sell them. And so we'd go door to door in New York and sell them and guys would put it on and be like, Whoa, this is really cool. It's like, it's like industrial metal. Or, and then I'm just like, this yeah. is like hardcore, but not, and it's like, you know, and, and I was like, cool, you know, whatever you guys want to call it is fine by us. And we had like, you know, we had the Grammy nomination and they, we were, a Grammy nominated for metal performance. And then we all know the big debacle with Metallica and Jethro Tull, that era. So it's like, Oh, you know, Jethro Tull's not metal. I'm like, they're a hard rock band, you know? And, I'll be honest and, with you. I, I love Metallica, but I love Jethro Tull. So yeah. Jethro Tull was my first concert in 1976. <laughs> See, so I was, I have like 12, 18 albums by them on vinyl. So I, I love to incredible. Yeah. yeah. They were incredible. It was, uh, it was, they were a great band, but, uh, yeah. So we, and then we were called, I think when, in, when we did a record, uh, in, I want to say 2000, Oh God, sorry. The years are, uh, would have been 2006, seven, eight, something like that. They they were like, you, uh, you guys are po- post hardcore. And I'm like, okay. Whatever, whatever you want to call it. And I just, that's good. I just was curious what you had heard. Cause I don't yeah. do the genre to me, everybody that's still around right now, is like a legacy band, meaning yeah. you have a legacy that's always going to be there. And it means something. And here, here's here's something I think that like a band has their like not an apex, but like the big time where everyone loves your certain albums. And I've heard you talk about this before. And then your better albums, you may say like your last one, you probably was your, you say was, you think is your best. But I think it's because people are, gravitate to you at a certain age, in the young younger age, yeah. they're eighteen, twenties, and that's their music is their world. Now there's a, a bunch of us like you and I and all different levels of musicians and music lovers and that still go, Nope, I'm still listening to music. Music is always going to be my life. Mm. But, but a big hunk of that, that really hold on to it, that, you know, kind of weave in and out for them. Those are their times and they don't know nothing else for you or, or any other band. So like, you know, yeah. that's the time stamp for you. Like, Oh, yeah. he's doing another album. I'm like, dude, he's done like four other albums and he's done like orchestras. And I mean, so they forget like time stamp still for them. Um, and the labels are there for like genre and this to me, who you guys reminded me of and not so much in sound, but in inventive song structure and not giving a care to me, it was like if, if Fugazi decided they want to become heavy metal mm-hmm. to me in that attitude where 
you guys had your own song structure. You guys did your own thing. And you used the bass a lot. It had its own distinct sound, which I really yeah. loved about that. you with you guys. Because it's, it's always been a thing. Has, has that always been a conscious thing with you? Well, I'm actually talking about that. The, the, the bass uh, sound has always kind of been pretty... Yeah, I mean, every, you know, um, what, what I preach and teach when I'm, I'm flying to Boise to produce an album next week. And, and what I talk to bands, and I've, I've been remote producing since... The pandemic hit. I did a band in Toulouse, France, a band in Melbourne, Australia, Chicago, Brooklyn, uh, this Boise band. And um, you you have to look at the parts of a rock band as like a little mini orchestra. It's orchestration, right? So every every element, and that means that's not drum kit, bass, you know, two guitars. It's the drum kit consists of a hi hat, you know, maybe two, you know, floor tom, two rack toms, a kick drum, some cymbals. So it's the whole kit. Those are all separate instruments the bass you know you have a couple of options you have you can go like distorted you know uh, uh you think for yourself beatles distorted fuzz pedal bass or you could go a cleaner right. bass or a full bass and we i did kind of view the, the the bass and the guitar um as separate but cohesive elements and so the the sound was incredibly important because if you're going to double parts meaning i've got a riff and the bass player's you know in sync with the with the guitar um it you know the sounds have to 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 work together so you don't want like a lot of guys uh guys and girls where musicians focus so much on like we're gonna get a kick kick in the snare sound and then the bass is kind of this uh not ignored but i think people bass is a hard instrument to make sound great you know and we were lucky with henry that he was uh such a, a, a he was a musician he wasn't just a bass player you mm -hmm. know and i think that's the case with with uh with stanier as well he was a songwriting he was a musician so he he had an he had an orchestral or an arrangement uh, you know an approach to, to to playing drums that was arrangement oriented you know and that was that was why the band you know did our songs were cohesive and you know like progressive i mean I, I remember people coming to us to me and you know mike Patton, our example and just like god he's like I, it's so weird you know i heard, heard you guys and it just it was this brand new thing and then i watched you every night when you toured with us and it was like it was really clear it really made sense it wasn't like rocket science they go no it's 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 just being i mean it's why i love zz top and acdc you know yeah. i was like well they're just blues rock bands i'm like how come nobody can play like that nobody like you to no. cover an acdc song and you sound lame it's just lame just you know because that yeah. was perfect that they were every element was perfect in the in the music and that to me was something and the the vocal thing came about because i was at the early on i remember in, in, in everybody talking you know talking about songwriter singer songwriter 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 and i was like you know what i, I want to be the anti-songwriter it's so pretentious like i'm going to write a song that's going to be meaningful and i'm like I'm going to collect collect a you know, series of stream of conscious thoughts and, and 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 images, and I'm going to create something that's completely different. And you know, it worked pretty well. Sometimes I failed, you know, and I'd be like, "What? What exactly was I thinking about there, singing about?" And but that's okay, you know. I think you have to kind of to keep to do something interesting. You have to put the lab coat on a little bit and take some chances and not worry. We were never, as we, you know, we just discussed a, a minute ago, we were never concerned with the genre or with what people thought. Are they going to identify with this or not? I'm like, I don't know. It's not my problem. You know, it's like we love music. I love 
Marvin Gaye. I love Beethoven. I love Charlie Parker. I love Bob Marley, you know, and, and so those elements are all something that we absorb as a, as a singer and a writer and a guitarist. And it's in some way, if you're, you know, you know, not unconscious, you'll, it'll seep into your music, I think in a positive way, you know, so. I can hear that as I can hear your jazz influence as far as every instrument has its own little journey. Yeah. Like in jazz that I can, that I can hear like, like but like even the drums, so you're saying before like the drums, the snap and the snare, that's a, that's a helmet sound. You guys have a certain drum sound, no matter who's drumming for you mm-hmm. that I think you produce. Yeah. You, you, you kind of lock down. Now you- I wrote with that in mind, like the drums as, as a feature instrument, like uh, right. to me, it was, I, I, that's why I love Stanier. I heard him and I go, this guy has the uh, feel and the, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the feel and the creativity and he could play fast tempos and it was, it was assertive, you know, aggressive, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it. I knew I could write cool stuff with him in mind and he, he got it, you know, he, 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 um, he, he was, you know, I don't know how he figured some of this stuff out. Cause I, I just feel like, well, it turns around every, you know, here's the, if I'm in five and you got to stay in four and then, so it's going to turn around here and you got to get back to one right here. And, you know, so, but that's their problem. That's their job. But that's one of the things when people listen to you guys, it does seem not as complex when you really pull back, unless you're a musician, you really listen to and you play guitar, you play an instrument. It's so different. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard music the, to play. Right. Because they don't get it. It feels like it's just dunk, 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 dunk. And it's like, it's no, 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 no. Supposed to, the timing yeah. is different. The timing is like ridiculous. And it's, it's simple, smart, but it's not easy. You know, I've told this, I've told this story before TM Stevens, the great bassist uh, from who, who played on with the pretenders and before that with miles and with uh, James Brown, every this amazing musician, he came on the bus and we were at Asbury park at stone pony and he came on the bus. He's like, man, he's like, you guys are just, it's mind blowing. He's like, it's been, uh, it's like a big bowl of ice cream helmet. You dig in and there's spinach inside, you know, it's like, cause it feels good. And it's tasty. Yum. It's like, Oh, there's something in here that's healthy and good for me. It's caught, you know, and I just thought that was such a great description of what we what we do. And I've heard different things from, you know, other musicians like Danny Korchmar and Steve Jordan, who I really admire, like top of their, you know, I mean, Steve Jordan's phenomenal drummer and bass bassist and Cooch is, and you know, has his own guitar sound. Like you dial a setting on any guitar preamp you buy, and it's like you know Cooch or whatever. It's like his sound, and he produced, yeah. you know, Henley and Billy Joel and all these people, and they that kind of admiration and that kind of support for me was meant a lot. You know what I mean? I felt, cause I grew up li- listening to those records and reading their names on the backs of records. And, and um, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't, there. yeah, it wasn't my goal, but I feel like I knew the process that I, and, and I knew what went, went into it and that it was musical and came from people say, I don't hear jazz. One guy I said, uh, a, a bartender client, uh, when I was bartending in New York, you know, I said, he said, what do you guys like? I said, I don't know, man. It's hard rock. I said, my favorite band is ACDC. He came to see us because you guys don't sound anything like ACDC. I'm like, good, because we don't need another ACDC. They're, they're perfect. Thank you. But I say that all the time to people. Yeah. You know, it's like, like, we had a band. Yeah, exactly. But we like, um, I'll say, well, you know, look at the harmonic, you know, vocabulary of helmet. There are chords that nobody in a rock band ever, nobody in a band ever used before. Major seven sharp eleven with a thirteen. All it is is it looks like this, and it's an open E string, and then I've got a C sharp and F sharp, and then a power chord on the bottom. But nobody ever thought of that before, and nobody ever used those voicings. And to me, uh, things that I applied from jazz were common tone, 
So that's like a pedal point, meaning I can play this note and I can play four chords that change and that note's still uh, still like, you know, it's hinges around that note. I can do uh, extensions of chords, meaning I can go from here's a triad, you know, da, ba, 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 da, da, and I can add notes above that. that that's, that's a jazz thing. And jazz is about the feel and swing and helmet sway. Uh, Steve Jordan, one of the things he said, man, is you guys swing so hard. He, goes, you're the, he, he said, you're the only heavy band that I've heard that grooves and swings because there was a straight eight feel in a lot of metal music. And there are a lot, I think that stuff swings in a different way, much of it, but I get what he was saying. And I think that is informed by or influenced by jazz. You know, it's like the harmonic um, concepts, the approach to it. Also my solos, unless it's a part that I've written, like uh, like I care solo, that's a melodic thing with some feedback. It's I'm improvising. I'm not playing a collection of rock, hot rock licks because I don't have them. I don't have a bunch of hot rock, rock licks. I'm using a, a mode, say Dorian and then pentatonics that move on the tritone. I'm doing things that I've horsed around with in jazz so, and I'm improvising. I'm letting it happen every night differently. You know what I mean? It doesn't mean there won't, I won't, I'll, I won't repeat myself because I, I will. It's the no, most but you've fun. added words to the, to your own musical vocabulary by doing that. Yeah. You, you've kind it's of created it. And... Yeah. It's Tommy, Tommy Victor from prong. Who's a, a friend we toured together. He said, man, I've been trying to, uh, trying to hit my solos like you trying to get that like because it has this free exciting intense feeling like there's improv going on and there's feedback and then there's you know diminished scale things you know coming out and, and i go i'm just winging it man i'm just going i'm putting a you know like i'm that guy that used to roller skate i think it was frank zappa they, they people said frank zappa's roller skating on the strand in venice beach and it's like i'm like that guy Put the lab coat and the roller skates on and, and try not to crash. You know what I mean? So that's <laughs> that's pretty good. I know and, and I always like to think about the songwriting process and, and with you and, and it's interesting is like because you have some jazz stuff up too and you have your jazz, your uh the quintet you have, you have a little you play out, you have a lot of different projects you do. Yeah. How did you so was it when you started playing, you're doing you're doing jazz, but you're also I know you like Steely Dan, I do too. But you also yeah. were listening to like Zeppelin, like I do, like I like similar bands. But like you combined them in a way, but you like took jazz and made it heavy. Like was that how did you come to that point? It just, it's very interesting how you meshed it because I can't think of a time I've heard I that. Was, I I play, I got interested in becoming a guitarist because of Led Zeppelin, right? I listened to two Led Zeppelin albums every single day as a teenager, and there there were only like I can't remember how many albums at the time, seven or eight albums. But I'd be like Led Zeppelin two and Presence. And tomorrow I'm going to do the live album, and that's a double record. So I'd listen to that whole thing beginning to end, and that'd be like you know the Houses of the Holy and you know Led Zeppelin one or whatever. And I just was obsessed with them, and because of them, this blues thing came out. Willie Dixon. Well, who's this guy? I got to check this Willie Dixon guy out. The blues. So I started exploring the blues. Then I got a guitar teacher who wouldn't teach me Stairway to Heaven, so I fired him and got a new guy, and uh, this guy said, do you, do you like jazz? And I'm like, yeah, my mom listens to that, you know? And, and, uh, so I got her, I got a, a George Benson album and I was like listening to the guitar. I'm like, what, like, what is that? What is he doing? How the hell does he do that? And I just became fascinated by it. And then I was in college. Um, and my parents, you know, was like, you're going to college, whatever. So they were splitting it with me until I flunked out. 
um, and uh, as a pre-med major. And uh, so I came home and my dad said, what are you going to do? I'm not going to help you out anymore. You're, you're on academic probation, whatever. I said, I'm going to go to Lane Community College. I'm going to study music. And his exact words to me were bullshit. And I, in my mind right then, I was like, watch. And I did. I went to Lane Community College. I learned to read, um, you know, uh, read music and uh, took theory and got straight A's from there on. I auditioned at, at Oregon on classical and jazz guitar, got in on both. And I just became obsessed. And so I forgot about, I didn't forget about Led Zeppelin, but it was like, I had done that from the age of 14 to 17. Like just, you know, it was ACDC Zepp. I love Sabbath, but, um, and I got to New York. I, I, I decided I really wanted to live in New York because I was always reading about, you know, uh, you know, Mitten's Playhouse, you know, Charlie Parker, Thelonious Monk, Coltrane, everybody, Miles. Everybody came from North Carolina, Philly, uh, St. Louis miles all over the place. And they were, New York was the epicenter that I go, there's gotta be something there. I have to be there. And I went there, a uh, guy auditioned for Manhattan school of music and got in. Um, and I got a little small scholarship and then a work study job to mop the stage every morning at like 6 AM. And, uh, it was great. It was amazing. And I, and I, uh, I, I continued studying jazz and I was the youngest guy in the program. And I had all these super pro amazing musicians like Dave Berger and, uh, Steve Ture, these incredible, like world-class jazz musician guys that were playing with Benny Golson or Stan Kenton or whatever. And then me, I was like, Hey, yeah, I'm the guy with the, I'm the dumbass from Oregon. And, uh, but I just, I saw that I had a knack for composition because I was always trying to push the boundaries. I was always trying to do different things. And I was learning these Jim Hall chords and these things. And then I decided I graduated. I'm like, I got to do something. So I started auditioning and looking in the village voice auditioning for every band I could find found this band of Susan's band. That's really cool. Um, he said, they said, check out this gang of four band. And I go, that's really cool. Then I started exploring that era of music and I found killing joke. I found wire. Mm -hmm. We toured with wire. I found the buzzcocks. I found that petrol emotion. I found all this amazing. I was like, Oh my God, you know, rock guitar is not dead. Cause to me, the stuff that came after Zepp and, ACDs and everything was too saw. I didn't like Boston Journey or Foreigner. They're amazing players and songwriters. It just something didn't connect with me. I don't know what it was. It felt really sterile in some weird way, or or contrived, you know. I guess. And I'm not. I don't mean to speak, you know, ill of those because they're incredible. You know, Steve Lukather and Toto. He's a phenomenal musician. That whole band are phenomenal. But it's just. I don't know. I wanted, I wanted something a little dirtier, you know, a little nastier and, and heavier and stuff. And, um, I heard Sonic Youth. We played with that, uh, them in Australia. I love the Which noise. I, I love the noise. Uh, we were, that would have been, uh, the, was it the first or second time we were in Australia? 93. Um, I believe, I believe it was the tour that we just released that show from, um, uh, the first time we were down there. Um, and, uh, they were, they had uh, uh, that, that, that great song, uh, Teresa Sound World. What album is that? Um, not, it's yeah, after, Daydream, after Daydream Nation, not Goo. Uh, oh, there's one more after that one. Cause I saw, I saw them on Goo in, at the Masquerade in Atlanta. Yeah. And I was thinking yeah. around what, 91, I think. Yeah, uh, I think I could be wrong. That's now. I can, see, I can see the cover. So Daydream Nation, I love, I love that. And then the, one after that, in between Goo and Daydream Nation, ah, it had Teresa's Sound World, and that song was just magical. And I just remember sitting on the side of the stage and just like, wow, this is 
because they had this thing that was improvisational, but but based in it with a with a different language, different vocabulary, and dirty. You know, you know, using feedback and detuned guitars and, um, and it could be a, a train wreck at times. You're like, that yeah. didn't quite work, you know, but it could also just be transcendent. And to me, that was exciting. I, I, I wanted, I want something that's taking more chances. And I think that's why it really, uh, it really attracted me. I, uh, let's just real quickly. It's either, was it dirt? It wasn't dirt, right? I mean, it wasn't. Uh, was it the Whitey album? I think it was dirt. I think you're right, dirt. Because okay. uh, 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 yeah, I think it's the album with Cool Thing. Uh, cool Thing was on. Uh, cool, cool Thing was was cool, uh, Goo. Uh, goo, yeah. Okay, it, it had to be for Karen and stuff. Yeah, I had to Google it too. It, it, the songworms would bother me for like a day. I'd be like, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's gonna. I gotta. Uh, it's just, I'm gonna. Teresa's, uh, Teresa's sound. World. It's that album that I really love. Mm-hmm. I see it. Uh, well, because the goo came out and then dirt, so they were like. They were probably so the goo was their biggest album, like commercially, I think. So yeah, probably doing a lot of songs off of goo. Yeah, dirt yeah. Tour, you know what I mean? So it could be confusing at that yeah. point. Yeah, it was um it was cool. It was it was you know great, but um I think uh what like and you know there were bands, other bands downtown, you know, Rat at Rat R and Life Skull and stuff, and they, there was a similar kind of excitement for me, but there was also a lack of um like funkiness and, and sort of, uh, you know, I liked the hardcore aggression, but mm-hmm. not for, not aggression, not male aggression for aggression's sake, kind of, which right. I felt like hardcore got a little bit like that and where it was like, and I'm like, no, nah, that's not, I'm, I'm more like John Coltrane aggression. It's passion. It's a need to express something that I can express through no other medium, uh, uh, you know, other than the music of helmet and, and like helmet power, but not a threat <laughs> to your audience. Exactly. You know, it's like, yes, there's anger there, but it's not about the anger only. It's about, you know, like trying to communicate. And like, I, um, I read about Coltrane, like no one could sit in the room with Coltrane playing and ignore him. And I'm like, I like that because it was so powerful and so mm-hmm. intense and so loud, you know? So I know some people would tease us, Julie Kafritz, who was in a band called um, STP, not Stone Temple Pilots, but STP back in the day in New York. And she's like, Helmus, you know, you guys are just playing, what did she say? Rush songs with bigger amps or something. I'm like, yeah, no. <laughs> you know, it's this, you know, it's people always want to take a shot at you, you know, and it's like, she was a friend and, and, and yeah. funny busting about it. Uh, just busting our, our, our nuts. But uh, yeah, so... Yeah, well, I think it's a compliment because you create your own sound. I mean, it's really it is hard to compete compare you. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. What's really great. So that is that answers part of my question is because you you from then you you guys did a bunch of albums and you guys had a was it a breakup or just a break? But you also have done a lot of compositions and scores. And to me, it's like, oh, where did that come from? All of a sudden, because you've been already doing that. Because I mean to write a score or a composition and write for wind instruments and tubular bells. That's just not what an, an ordinary, you know, rock guitarist has 
in their tool right. bag, you know, in their cap. So I'm like, oh, that's interesting. So that was deeper in your reservoir early on. Yeah, I, you know, um, I, I, I studied that music and I studied Bach. I played Bach and, you know, uh, uh, Villalobos and stuff in, in, in college. And I always was always fascinated by it harmonically and, and you know, just the, 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 the movement and the shapes and stuff. And, and then orchestral music. Um, Beethoven is the first one that really got me because it's so immediate and so much like a helmet riff, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, dun, 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 you know, and, and it's just that, that power and that passion. And um, so I always had it. I always enjoyed it, but I never, I, I, you know, I kind of fantasized about getting into that stuff. And uh, it wasn't until I moved to Los Angeles and I was driving around listening to KUSC, that great radio station they have at University of Southern California here, that I got turned on to some incredible music, including Ray Fon Williams and uh, uh, John Blank, you know, Adam Kachaturian, um, just stuff that w- wasn't Beethoven, Bach, Mozart, 20th century things, Samuel Barber, um, and I started hearing, and I was like, wow, there's something here harmonically that I find really beautiful and, and interesting. And it's, it, it's, it's steeped in classical tradition, meaning the Viennese tradition, but it's, you know, they've expanded upon it, kind of like Debussy saying, okay, I'm going to throw the sonata form out and I'm going to do this thing. And I, it's, it's very, uh, you know, the electric guitar, Elliot Goldenthal, who I was really fortunate to do a bunch of movies for as a guitarist. He's like, your guitar is like a little mini orchestra. And, and it, it, the d- distorted electric guitar blends so well with strings. I mean, there's string instruments. Mm-hmm. There's right. a sonic thing. If you're playing a clean guitar, it's, you know, it's more percussive, really. And, and it doesn't blend as well. It's, it's nice to hear a guitar concerto with, um, you know, like uh, uh, Rodrigo's, you know, famous concerto, uh, De Angue. Um, it, but that, that the guitar doesn't, it's, it's a different feel if you take a distorted electric guitar, you know, and blend it with strings, they're one and the same. And I used strings on helmet albums at that point, like uh, had Jane Scarpin, uh, Tony plays cello on um, Aftertaste mm-hmm. and um, I had a uh, Philip uh, draw a blank. Ah, I can't remember his last name on the last two albums, last two helmet albums, uh, Philip Peterson um, play. So, cause I was always fascinated with that. And I've, even back as far as strap it on, I, um, I, I did sampling for the Sinatra, those voices, that drone that we do, what's yep. the best for me. And the drone comes in and I was, Wharton was teaching me how to sample stuff. So it was always fascinated with those textures. You know, I wasn't concerned uh, early on. I was concerned with everything had to be performed live. And later I realized an al- album experience is completely different from a live experience. You don't have the immediacy so you can do other things to create um, the interest and keep it, uh, you know, keep it exciting, but, um, the, I'm still a newbie. I mean, I, I'm writing a piece for the Christian brothers high school in Memphis, Tennessee. It's the oldest high school orchestra in the country. Um, it's their 150th anniversary. And I've started six sketches and scrapped them all until I finally, I came up with two real themes. I really, really like a lot. Mm-hmm. So now I'm like, I have to figure this orchestration thing out. Um, I wrote a piece for a high school in Atlanta, uh, St. Pius. The that one's t- beautiful. It's on your website. Uh, is it? Yeah, it's, it's, oh, it's beautiful. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I was really proud of the kids because it was my thinking was, OK, they're they're kids. So they're learning. So they the rhythmic. I don't want something to be too rhythmically complex, like no Stravinsky rhythms or anything. But but I can do have someone, you know, have, the, you know, 
people playing the notes of a triad and then I can put a, a, a flattened two in the bass because it'll, but I didn't take into consideration kids also are still learning and honing their intonation. So sometimes some of the chords were a little complex, um, but uh, I learned a lot and I had a great time. Uh, uh, Mr. P, Chad uh, uh, P, uh, mm -hmm. Pat Snick, the, the instructor was really great, you know, and uh, I'm working with uh, Patrick Bolton actually. Uh, he's the, the, the teacher that brought me in for the Christian Brothers piece. Um, and I just did some, I just did some audition pieces for a show that, um, out of 150 composers, it was down to me. And then the, the, the network said, we want to go in a comedy direction. And I go, <laughs> my instructions were tense and excitement and, and, and action. And, uh, you know, so I was like, hey, I'm not comedy guy. You know, I just don't see. You just end in like one of those whistles at the end. You do like the beautiful piece and be like, yeah. <laughs> like yeah so it was uh so that that you know but it was cool that i talked to the showrunner the, the main producer guy and he was really excited about it he really wants to do something with me and he said god you would have been perfect for my show the mole or whatever but i i'm just still you know still learning and working and working at it you know and uh um and it's uh it's really fun and my manager uh david whitehead who's also one of my best friends wants me to do a, a orchestral thing and the helmet chords as i've talked to my friend who's a a composition a film te a score teacher at USC here is like these chords lend themselves to or to you know to strings to orchestral you know lay layout the, the yeah. and so I think they're because of these open intervals you know and um it's going to sound really great and then you know as I say I'm still kind of fumbling around Elliot Goldenthal said yeah you know I got a great exercise for you take the the 2T movement and movements in uh, uh, uh Ravel's Rhapsody Espanol and move everything up a minor third and I'm like <laughs> okay then yeah that'll take me about 10 years you know but that's <laughs> he's he studied with Aaron Copeland and you know John Corleone he's like that's his life he's a he, he's an orchestral guy you know and 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 uh I'm a rock guy at, the, at heart. I'm still like a rocker. You know? He's they see the raw material and, and, and like literally go back to like the music can fit in different spots. And so like the right in the difficulty and the simplicity, like in the high school one to me mm -hmm. is, is even higher because I can appreciate because my daughter was on the bass back there. My daughter just graduated from played bass all through high school. And so I, I was at the jazz concerts in Boston, the competitions. So listening to high school musicians playing compositions and the challenges for them, Mm -hmm. And then hearing what you did was really fantastic because yeah. that's a hard target. It's, it's, it is, it's moving, you know, to get, yeah. it was great. difficult yet playable for that right audience. And the challenge, one of the challenges is, is the, the, the odd orchestration, because you th think about it, the guy would be like, okay, we have eight flutes, one, <laughs> one trombone, uh, you know, an yeah. alto tenor sax. And you're like, ah, you know, so and and little things I've learned over the years are you don't, you know, don't do a solo flute and a solo sax because the intonation will never be on. So you have to just you have to really work, get the the, the wind, winds and, and brass and the, the, the instrument families um, sorted. And um, so it's a challenge, but it's I like it. It's really fun. I think like I've been spoiled with helmet that it's been my 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 baby for you know 30 plus years i'm writing i'm writing exactly what i want to hear and if you get a job you you deal with that you know like if you're doing a film if i'm doing a film it's like the it's all about the the scene that the, yeah. the, the you know the action the, the the actor the character whatever and that's a really 
was really great education and, and it expanded my, we were talking about me doing all these different things and how they all feed right. each other. That's a great example of that. It made me a better songwriter for Helmet by doing scoring seven or eight movies. I, you know, I had to learn stuff. So that's, that's something like if you always get to do exactly what you want, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, some of my friends that are rock stars, they just seem so bored with their lives and so bored with their bands. And they're like, they're doing it because they have like, you know, a, a house in the hills and a guitar shaped pool they got to pay for. And they've lost their, a lot of them have lost their lust for, for what got them into music when they were 13, 14, 15 years old. And I never want to lose that. You know, that's why I play jazz every day. I still, I'm looking at, I hear a Rhapsody, John Coltrane, Solo, Israel, Minor Swing, Django Reinhardt, um, Bill Evans' version of Israel, um, mm -hmm. Over the Rain. I'm, you know, that's all my stand, and I'm kind of horsing through some, horsing around with Ted Green chords as well as um, this guy Randy Levine, and uh, I got a Joe Pass book, and then I'll I'll put something in my my phone and slow it down and try to figure things out. You know, it's fun. It's still really fun for me, and it's a challenge. I was watching. I got online the other day before I was. I had a I had to leave in like 45 minutes. And this guy, Michael Palmansano, a great guitar teacher online, was always uh, throwing himself into the fire. Had to, like, His fans were asking him to figure out a Steely Dan song. And uh, so I kind of went along with him and, and figured it out. And I, I, can't, I wanted to tell him, I'm like, it's a triad with the two in the bass. He's like, this, I don't hear a third. I don't hear a D sharp in there. It's B, but the B in the bass. I'm like, it's a, it's a sus chord. It's like, a, you know, it's functioning as a sus chord. You know, and it's like, he got it eventually. But, you know, I had the benefit of being home with no pressure. Not all my, you know, a bunch of fans watching do it live right now. I mean, he's amazing. This guy's amazing. But uh, it's fun. It's fun. It's fun doing that kind of stuff. When you figure something out, like, you know, the little line in Ricky don't lose that number when, when the, they do that, they outline the, you know, B seven sharp nine chord going to the chorus and just, it's, it's how you learn. It's how, it's how you, you, John Stoll, my great hero mentor, jazz guitarist up in Portland, Oregon. He said, Paige, you listen actively and you will absorb stuff through osmosis. That means I'm not on my phone, you know, looking through, um, you know, looking at whatever boobs.com and, you know, I'm listening to music. I'm only listening to music. My phone, my visual stuff is put away. I'm just focusing on Your this. Your mind is actively on that journey with it. Go inside it, man. And people don't have the, if I hear, you know, all kids don't have the attention span for, for a whole symphony anymore. I'm like, bullshit. Yes, they do. I've, I'm seeing kids. I'm meeting more and more kids that they are, are passionate and ravenous like uh, you know uh, devouring music ravenously mm -hmm. they're they they love it and i saw a kid play giant steps granted it was like this you know da, 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 you know tempo but he was 12 you know giant steps for crying out loud that's an um, you know monster tune and uh, i love it man i love it kids are gonna they're you know they're gonna uh, they have access to all this information and knowledge and everything on YouTube and on the internet, which is um, good and bad because you still have to use your ears and figure stuff out, you know, on your own. I mean, I had that, I had my record, you know, and I had a cassette player my, uh, uh, in the uh, SRO, the welfare hotel. And when I was in grad school, I had that little uh, Sony Walkman and I had my notebook here and I'd be like, you know, you know figuring the intervals out writing it out rhythm okay da -da 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 -da, you know da -da 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 -da. 
da 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 one e and you know that's you know and you got to do that you know i mean that's you know transcribed john coltrane and west montgomery and clifford brown and uh miles and bill evans pianist you know and that stuff makes you uh i don't know i think it just contributes greatly to your musical fabric and your foundation you know it's it's incredible the because one of the things you did early on is it and you can correct my pronouncing was it brockna symphony you were involved in that early on you did like some guitar Ooh, glenn, uh, glenn branca yeah branca thank you sorry i'm not that glenn, but glenn's he called he pronounced his name branca i used to say branca but he always said branca i'm too, you know so i always say i say glenn branca um yeah Look, he, i'm giving him props online so he'll take what he gets <laughs> yeah well he sadly he passed uh oh, see that uh, i just I, huge influence on me man that guy was 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 the real deal he was so passionate man and he was so creative and so uh just a whole new world right and i mean i, I played on symphony number no. six i'm on that recording and yeah, it's the- beautiful so people that haven't heard i just want to say i'm sorry to step on you we're talking people oh, yeah. check out these things you're talking about because it's awesome i mean i just discovered this part for this reference we're talking about now but it's i was like oh it's a rabbit hole for me that i got to bookmark and put aside because there's yeah. more to that journey i hope you know. somebody like john myers who was uh, glenn's conductor right hand man in, in glenn's later years somebody that uh, you know uh, per- performs uh, glenn's music live like puts an ensemble together and i uh i ended up getting to play on the symphony for 100 electric guitars here at disney hall in la where the la phil plays and uh it was amazing it was an amazing experience and and uh you know i had seen the premiere at the twin towers like the year of the attacks it was that summer and they did it they did the 100 electric cars and everybody's like why don't, why aren't you here why didn't you play it's like i was on the road i couldn't and i just got home in time to see the show and then years later he had re, he had reworked and reworked and reworked and we got to los angeles he did we had he said he said i don't know if he's lying to us but this was the best performance of the piece that i've had anywhere in the world Stands to reason in L.A. there's a lot of really talented musicians. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, Mike Watt, one of my punk rock heroes and a, and a, and a good buddy of mine. Mike Watt. He was in the bass section, you know, and he and so he was he's such a responsible, passionate, hardworking musician. You know, he like mm-hmm. he got he got sectionals together. He got the bass players together and said, OK, guys, we're going to work on this outside of the group. And he's just that's the kind of guy he is, you know. Um, so it was a really good ensemble and, uh, it was an amazing experience, man. Amazing. When was that when you did that? Like, how old were you when you did that one? Cause that was a while back. Uh, oh gosh. I, I already lived in LA. So, uh, it, I would say it was 10 years ago, maybe is my guess. Something like that. Okay. Yeah. Cause uh, that was a neat, past uh, few years ago. Yeah. That's really good. And then what's really interesting is I love the fact that, like I said, you doing soundtracks, you're doing high school, you're doing so much different stuff. But this is going to lead to what you're doing now. You have a new collaboration, new-ish, in the COVID apocalypse, 2020. Is it, you do like a, you really got me, you do a, a whole album. Your oh, collaboration my, you do? Um, um, the Malumbo stuff? Malumbo, that's how you say it. Yeah, yeah. It's um, my, my old friend, Rob Ray. Uh, from, we, we, uh, I was in his band in Brooklyn in the 80s before I formed Helmet, before I finished grad school. Um and uh it was it, we were a pop band basically but like we're writing weird like pink floyd inspired pop songs and it was fun <laughs> but i it wasn't like you know 100 my cup of tea i knew i had to do my own thing um but but he kind of we had these sort of parallel universe when i formed helmet he formed malumbo and i would go see him play and i really enjoyed it it was like world music but with some crazy improv and 
uh, samples. He's big on samples and stuff. He's not himself necessarily a virtuoso uh, improviser, but he's a, he's got a great compositional mind. And so I just enjoyed what he was doing. And I said, I, I want to do something with you. And so we ended up uh, working on this off and on. I'd be in New York for two days. I'd go into the studio for a day. Um, and uh, then I would kind of do stuff in my home studio. Um, and we got an album uh, album out of it. And I just played on a couple of tracks they did. Uh, it's kind of run its course for me because it's a lot, a lot, a lot of work for no money. And um, I, I do. Welcome have, to the Internet. <laughs> yeah, I do have to make a living. And, uh, and, and it's 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 I mean, I'm talking like if I had a jazz gig and I was getting 50 bucks, OK, I can place I, I know I know at least 100 jazz standards memorized maybe more and uh so that's not as much work you know but this is like these arrangements are they're modulation you know modulating and there's all these parts and it's very very uh dense it's extremely dense so also like picking parts out so but i like it i enjoy it but i you know i just kind of came to a crossroads and i was in new york to for the premiere of the album malumbo and uh, and Paige hamilton album uh, in March when the pandemic hit and I, I was there for about a week and we were about to start rehearsals and I, I, I panicked and I said, this is going to get bad. I'm going home. I didn't want to get stuck out there. So they canceled Smart. the show. They, 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 they rightly canceled the show. I talked to my friend, David Torn, a great uh, composer and guitarist. Mm -hmm. He said, Paige, this is really dangerous. I'm not going to do, he was going to open up for us. Uh, I'm not doing this because he has health issues. Um, so I realized it was serious and here we are. <laughs> Yeah, 18 right. months later still not playing shows so it's amazing you know it's crazy it's been been very intense well it is an interesting piece and it is that is also up on your website so it's interesting you do like uh you really yeah the king song actually you really have to listen to it to catch it <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's very eclectic rob and i saw the kinks together in 1986 maybe uh, i saw the kinks three times uh once at jones beach uh, once um, on the pier on the west side and once at the Beacon Theater. Um, actually, I think we went to all of them together, maybe. Um, or maybe I went with Sally to one of them. Anyway, yeah, one of my one of our favorite bands. So we have that in common. And that's we both love the Kinks and Blue Oyster Cult. So uh, we did, you know, the, our little cover seven inch box that we did Blue Oyster Cult, um, the Beatles, of course, uh, David Bowie and Wire. So kind of very you know a and variety. that's the one coming out right they just came out yeah that out. came out it's only for fans it's only on the i think um, uh, david manager said it's just for fans on the website or say it's a special you know limited very very limited thing uh but we're gonna go out and play the songs live you know so much to the i think chagrin of my band they're like this is this wire song's hard because it's like one chord and you got to know where to go up and where to go down and where to get at the tension cord. And, and it's, so it's hard in that way, not in a, not in a, you know, and then the Bowie song's quite complex. Um, Cause he, he wrote the song. Um, I had all the young dudes, the tape was on backwards in the studio. And so Bowie that, so move on from the lot, my favorite, one of my three favorite Bowie albums right. is Lodger. Um, that song move on is, is the changes chord changes backwards to um uh all the young dudes and that all that yeah, yeah, is like his vocals backwards so me figuring that out the syllables the sonic thing was was uh, was very difficult and then i have my teacher my band i was like no it's you know, they're gonna be like screw you page 
but uh, it, it'll be well, cool. And it's a fitting tribute, though, because you do get to play with him, which is probably one of the most awesome things in the world. I mean, one of the highlights of my life, no doubt. He was uh, he was a, a gentleman and a, and a you know amazing human being, no question about it, man. That's that's just a gift you got to play with him. So we're, we're just going to wrap up on a few things because you got a couple of things out there I want to talk about. You guys have a ring. One ring to rule them all. It's funny. My, my manager's uh, son is, a, is a co- in college in Manchester, England. My manager's from England, and his son is in college over there. And I took him out to lunch when we played Manchester. Um, and he's a great kid, and he's designing jewelry. Well, coincidentally, back in the day, um, I used to wear a ring on a cord around my neck with my wife, my ex- ex-wife's name on it. Um, and uh, it got ripped off when I, I like an idiot stage dove at Roseland ballroom. And, you know, they shredded my shirt and claw marks blood under my pits and armpits and chest. And they tore ripped and ripped and ripped until they tore it off. So I lost it. And I just always thought it was cool. And so he did this ring thing on a necklace and it was, it's beautiful. It's the kids really talented. So I was like, that's kind of different, you know? Yeah, it's cool. It's really nice. I'm going to step back from though. I think it was your ex-wife and the ring got torn off your neck and you were all attacked and everything. Kind of feels like it was a warning for you. It's like, like right out there in front of you. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it's very symbolic. Know. Just putting that out there for you. Some foreshadowing there for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler uh, yeah. alert for you. Yeah, sadly we've lost touch. We had a falling out uh, uh, after the divorce, and uh, great, great, really uh, beautiful, really intelligent, uh, great, great person. But we just, we just couldn't, we just couldn't play play nice. Once so, you've been uh, married, you, you can make those jokes. So you got to make that joke. You know, just. <laughs> Yeah, regardless yeah. of the relationship, not a dick towards them. It's just it's it's an ex, and it's just a yeah. A joke, I have man, no, I have zero ill will towards her whatsoever. No. I did for a while, but I I just don't. You know, it's like she's uh she's happily married and has kids yeah. and she's doing well. So I'm I'm happy for her. You know, it's good. You still get to make those jokes. You earned it. You're in those stripes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For you're sure. in the you're in the troops. So a couple of things you got going. So you talked about the box set. I wrote a couple of things down. I did. I want to make sure we talk about these few things. The beer. The beer, the helmet beer, yeah, the helmet yeah. lager. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I can, we did, we had a couple of options. They were really cool about it. I said, what, you know, what do you like? And I said, well, I, I like a lager. I don't do IPAs. And this particular brewery, Alasta, doesn't do IPAs. So um, here's one that I've consumed already, but that's the Betty cover. And we did the Betty Blue, I call it, uh, yeah. lowercase logo. It's really nice that this was the other option that they wanted uh, to, to consider the meantime looking vibe. But I, I yep. just thought the Betty one was, you know, just look cooler. Um, and it's usually the Betty's really- prettier and it's nicer. But the meantime is the 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 album that people would probably gravitate towards us. Depends on what part of the world, like when Betty came out, that got that exploded for us in Europe and Australia. That's where we we really kind of, but you know, uh, peaked, you know. Um, and uh, meantime, I think they were they were it was like you know one notch above strapping on somehow, you know. But the meantime is the one in the U.S. that everybody you know yeah. discovered us through. So. Um, yeah, uh, so that's that's cool. Yeah, those guys are great. We also, we have the live that Australia show you were talking about. We did, mm-hmm. we did that big day out uh, festival, which is sadly no longer uh, in Melbourne. And um, I picked seven songs that I could stomach from that, and we mixed them. Toshi Kasai, our good friend, <laughs> so we're selling right there that I could. Yeah, stomach. really, it's like I could. These were okay. These didn't make me sick, you know. Um, <sighs> you know Come on, Paige, put a little more oomph into it. 
we were <laughs> we were tearing it up you know john and henry and and i were were uh, really close back then and we were uh, peter was doing his own thing because he's from australia so you see him family a lot and he was he was trying to reel it in and be he was trying to be good peter and i'm like you're not fooling us um <laughs> the three of us were just you know we, we had a steady flow of you know an iv of cooper's ale you know and we we're just running around on the you know bondi beach with topless girls you know swimming it was just gorgeous absolutely gorgeous so the shows were a little rough but they're they're the, the heavier tracks turned out really great because my voice was so gruff from from staying up all night every night and drinking um so it's cool i'm really i really wanted to get it out there it's for it's for you know fans and then the cd show was it was before strap it on came out so it was like year zero basically i'm sure yeah yeah and we had a uh, it was a great photographer that was like on helmet from day one and kirk from flipside magazine i managed to track him down and we got photos from him that were fantastic and uh it's just cool you know our, our dear friend in melbourne australia um, um, Richard De Silva, who does all our artwork now, you know the lion's share of our artwork. He put the artwork together with with Kirk's pictures, and um, yeah, really like talented guy. His his band is one of the bands I have a track from to produce that I'm really far behind on. But um, he, uh, yeah, it, that's a CB show is really cool. It was a similar thing, you know. There were uh, lyrics to "Bad Mood" from the Strap It On album over a different completely different music and so i i was like god I, I forgot i had done that so we did uh there was it, that turned into an intro on the album and it was just this high energy you know uh, uh cool show you know the band we had this kind of explosive thing going we were also everybody in the band was so um intense in a, in a weird way and i think we we're just the music just was right for that ensemble you know and it was just it's really so it's fun i'm proud of it I mean, it's i'm proud of it but it's not i mean it's as a 61 year old now and 33 years or whatever into it i'm i'm a much you know better singer and guitar player and writer it's a yearbook, I, it's a yearbook picture yeah exactly exactly yeah so it's no no one's cool. expected to be the same guy back then it's 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 a moment of memories and it's a timestamp you know yeah yeah i and love you, it it's, it's it's cool man the artwork is great and the, the shows were great they were just there was something just really fun about them like you know so uh it's so great my, it's great yeah. for the bands like the, the linear journey of a band for, especially yeah. for fans is is, is, is a, such a treat yeah no doubt definitely definitely two other things i want to talk about you you guitar pedal the proton Oh yes, yeah, the Paige Hamilton distortion, yeah, and we did uh, we did a, a re quote unquote reissue uh, in in the Magenta to honor the because we because we reissued uh, uh, we did a very limited run only forty mm-hmm. guitars of the the, the, the PH uh, Magenta Sig model guitar from ESP. It's an LTD model, um, and uh, and Dennis at Proton got this great idea. It's like I'm try to do a pedal to go with that I'm like i'd love it and it's and it, it's it sounds incredible actually I, I gave one to each of my bandmates and, and to a few of my dear friends and uh, my bass player loves it he uses it on his on his pedal board now it's perfect for bass too so so dennis is really talented a really good guy and, and uh that's um i'm very it's, it's proton um i don't know if it's proton.com or what it is but it's on you know proton it's easy you know uh easy to remember it's linked off your website too i believe all the stuff cool. i'm talking about is actually a page cool 
Cool. But you know all this is on your website, though, anyhow, right? <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yeah, oh, totally. Yeah, oh, yeah, Sean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We talk, you told I'm me about on this. My, on my website every day. Like, right. Um, somebody is. It, it's a really great website, too. It's very informative. So we just scratched the surface of stuff. I mean, you got a lot going on. So I just, hopefully, people that aren't aware of all the levels of you. you yeah. Know, Cool. You've got layers. You're like an onion or a Shrek. You got these layers to you that people aren't aware of. You know, it's well. I will, I will thank. I will thank my manager and his family because his son and his wife and his daughter all help. There, it's like a family affair. They're all just amazing. His wife is a really uh, great singer um, songwriter from Hugo Largo. Um, we worked work with Han Rowe, who's a guy I got to work with. A great uh, uh, sample guy, guitarist, keyboardist, really, really mm-hmm. creative, amazing, and it's a really beautiful band and. She's so she's there's this talented artist that she's just got she just understands where I'm coming from and and I just I have I trust everything they do implicitly. You tell them good job. Really, you know. Yeah, I will. I will. The write ups on it of your of the descriptions of you are very succinct. It's 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 nice. Yeah, yeah. They won't put any like you know goofy stuff out there like hey no. dudes and ladies you know a record drops you know it's like yeah I don't talk like that yeah right. <laughs> And it's like the little brief segments of like talks about some of the other stuff you've done and the other videos are in there. It's like the orchestration stuff is in there. You know, all this stuff is in there for, for reference. So it's, yeah, it's really great. It shows a lot of you. Cool. Um, last thing I want to talk about is your st- guitar lessons. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, about uh, that? My People dear friend, that. Tracy Wiedemann, who is a tour manager extraordinaire for everyone from Ziggy Marley to Manson to Ario Speedwagon and Heart and, um, you know, she's worked with every band, been at it for a million years. She, we were sitting around, uh, she's in Vegas. And I was like, you know, I've been thinking about people have been asking me about guitar lessons for years and years and years. And I've never had the time. And I got, I got a lot of time now. And um, so I said, would you help me kind of put the little app, app thing together and, and uh, you know, administer it so I don't have to mm-hmm. sort of screw things up. And she did, and she did a really nice job. And so um, it's, I have students all over the world. Um, I'm becoming friends with a couple of them, a guy in Portland who is, I love Abe, a guy in, uh, um, in England, uh, Nick, who's a just really great guy, creative, a guy named Todd, another guy named Joe, uh, the, this kid Bo, and uh, I say kid, they're in their thirties, all these guys, but I call them kids uh, and his band. So <laughs> through the, uh, through the lessons, a couple of guys said, what I really want is for you to produce a track for us. So, I produced a, a, a Bose band, Boy, uh, Basement from Boise. I produced a band from Toulouse, South France. Uh, I'm drawing a blank on the name now. Fuck. Okay. We're gonna post. We're gonna post a, a band in New York called For the Fork. Um, uh, some guys in Chicago. I kind of guided them. It was a lesson, but I ended up doing it with both guys, the drummer and the guitarist. They were just learning how to record. Can you help us? learn how to record what mics do we use what interfaces what are we doing i'm like yeah i love it you know and and it's That's awesome it's been really fun man and it, it also Sounds inspiring has, for you like it's it like it inspires like ignites the fire it helped me focus on my own my own work you know in fact i did these i, I have these these books where i've just kind of compiled all this you know information like you know scales and chords and nice. um and, and stuff and you know to and and uh you know, it's just been really fun, man. I, and I always loved teaching anyway. Like I, I always, uh, did the rock camp. Um, and then, and then school of rock approached me at the beginning of the pandemic. And so 
I did an interview with their St. Louis school. And then they said, would you do one with the national school of rock? And I said, that was really great. Would you do a class? And then I worked with the all-star kids, the seven mm-hmm. all-star songwriters. Um, and uh, it, it was, it's it just really fun. I love, I love it. I love sharing, you know, John Stoll, I, as I mentioned, my, my guitar hero mentor told me, God, 10 or 15 years ago, they, you do so much in music. You have so many different skills and it's like, you need to be sharing sharing and he's like he's like buddha he's like my my zen guide he's because he's so humble and so um uh and he's genius but he's humble and beautiful and and uh plays jazz you know and and that's he's a, he's a world-class improviser and human being and then he said you have to start sharing this stuff with people and i'm like okay you know john says that then i do you know it's like it's just it's he's right he's absolutely right and i and i love it and from a selfish standpoint as i said it's it's has inspired me as well, you know. So, if you're, awesome, telling somebody, if you're telling somebody how to write a song, you bet you better, you know, know how to write a song. <laughs> you know, so. The website that you know, page is clearly a big part of. <laughs> <laughs> you're busy creating. It's great that you have a team that supports you because that, if you're an artist and you're not doing that part, someone needs to do that. And it's, 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 you can feel there's love in that site because it's very, very nice. It's very intuitive. It doesn't overspeak. It doesn't oversell. It's available. Cool. So, yeah. I work, I work with smart, creative people. That's the yep. key. And they, the goal is that a good manager lets you do your thing yeah. and they take care of the other stuff. So that's awesome. I want to thank you. This has been a, a, much. a pleasure for having um, me. Really cool show. Thank you. And we will, hopefully we'll talk again. Okay. I want to thank you. Okay. Have, you. Have a good day and rest. Okay. All right. Thanks. Okay.